You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, Ph.D., and our feminism, pop culture, and politics is discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be reflecting on Orlando, specifically how it's impacted uh, Latinx communities and what that means, um, as well as some discussion of queer spaces and queer resistance and a little bit about the history of pride. We're going to probably fit in a lot. Um, if we can emotionally and just general thoughts on this current grieving process and why so many of us in the LGBTQ community, um, why we're experiencing that, uh, we'll wrap up as usual with our RWLing, but first Mel, where can our listeners find us on the internet? They can follow, find us everywhere such as (laughs) iTunes. You can leave us a review. I'll read a review in just a second. It's very nice. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Twitter is FKJ underscore PhD. We have a Kill- Feminist Killjoys PhD mixtape on Spotify if you live in 2016. I do not. Um, if you have some extra dollars and you would like to support the labor of feminist media makers, you can donate to our Patreon account. Um, or you can make a one-time donation at our website with the donation birdie. And of course, you can always email me because um, I'm still in 2004. And so our email address is fkj.phd at gmail.com. And we have, uh, oh, sorry, Rachel, you go. I've talked enough. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, so speaking of iTunes reviews, we are three reviews away from meeting our 15 review by the end of June goal. So if you listened a couple episodes ago, um, that we set goals for our social media popularity, I guess. And we wanted, we wanted 15 reviews on iTunes. Uh, we currently have 12, which is an increase. So thank you all. And, um, we, well, Mel, how about you read, how about you read the review? I will. Also, I just would like as a feminist to say how funny it is that we apologize for like talking to even on our feminist killjoy podcast. I just apologized. That is how deep the patriarchy is rooted in our souls. (laughs) Fuck the patriarchy. Okay. Anyways, this wonderful review uh, says, oh, it's titled, Let These Funny Smart Feminist Killjoys Take Over Your Airwaves. Oh, that's sweet. Okay. Grab a fair trade, grab a cup of fair trade coffee, find a comfy chair, and invite Rachel and Mel into your living room for an hour plus of smart, funny conversation about feminist issues. I love listening to these two feminist professors engage in conversation because unlike other podcasts I listen to, it doesn't feel like they're putting on a show. It feels like you are right there with them. Nuanced, sophisticated discussions of race, gender, sexuality, class, workers' rights, and the intersection of all these issues and more. And for a podcast about being killjoys that regularly discusses serious issues, there's plenty of levity to be found in Rachel and Mel's entertaining banter. Give it a listen. You won't regret it. Oh. That's Aww. so nice. We are That's funny. Really, really sweet. We are. We do have <laughs> levity. Um, it's true. That's a really, really sweet review. So thank you um, to that listener. 
and also, thank you. Uh, I meant to say this last week, and I don't think I did. Um, our friend and listener, Timothy, uh, Timothy, I don't know if he wants to say his last name, so we'll just stick with Timothy. Um, he is a great fan. He always texts me about the episodes and, um, you know, talks about his, his thoughts on them, which we love. Uh, and he also invited a bunch of his friends to like the Facebook page. And so because of him, we got like a really significant boost in our followers, but we're still about 50 away from reaching our 400 followers on Facebook goal. Um, but to do that before the end of June. So, um, keep liking us and sharing us and leaving us reviews. We really appreciate it. Yay! Yay! Um, how's your week been, Mel? It's been, I cannot complain. I was in Milwaukee hanging out with my buddy Tate. He's seven years old. We went on bike rides. We went to a trampoline park. We went to Dave and Buster's, which is like Las Vegas arcade place. Right. It was a lot of fun. And then, well, I mean... I mean, obviously Orlando. So I'm just trying to find the silver linings in my in my week. Um, there's a squirrel that has been eating all my bird food and now is obsessed with a uh, plastic cup that I have outside. So I've been watching the squirrel try to like take away the plastic cup, <laughs> like dragging it around the porch. So I cannot complain. Life is good. And you, good. Rachel? Um. The, I mean, I feel like a lot of my week was very much just occupied with like reading about Orlando and grieving and all of those things. Um, got to go to uh, Pride, like the Pride Day in Detroit, which was great, and then a vigil um, in Ann Arbor uh, Sunday night, so the day that the news was released. So um, got to you know share space with with the queer community. Um, also got to see poet Andrea Gibson this week. Um, if you don't know Andrea Gibson, uh, you, the general you listeners should check them out. Um, really amazing queer spoken word poet, um, who just makes me feel all the feels and it was really, um, awesome to see them live and just other general trying to get work done stuff. Yeah. So yeah, but, but definitely felt like a heavy week. Yeah. That's interesting because... I should say, I should mention too, because I was in Milwaukee, uh, it was a really weird space for me to process Orlando because my queer family is mostly in Minneapolis. And when I was in Milwaukee, nobody talked to me about Orlando at all, you know? And I mean, I was in somewhat of a bubble because uh, I was with a seven-year-olds, you know? And so we can't like, I can't openly talk with the mom about the shooting that he clearly doesn't know anything about. Um, but you know, and so I, I wasn't on the internet as much, but when I would check in with the internet, my Minneapolis internet was just grieving and, you know, unable to function on a, on the daily. And then my Milwaukee family and friends were, it's as if like barely anything happened. Right. Right. And so it's, so it's been a weird week for me. And so you, you've definitely been more steeped in it than I have. And not that I didn't want to be steeped in it. It was just there was nobody to steep in it with in Milwaukee, you know? Right. Totally. And nobody yeah. asked me about it. You know, I sent off tes- texts asking people like in Minneapolis and you and obviously we were in touch about like right. how people were doing, but um, nobody in Milwaukee like said anything. It was, it was really right. weird. That is really weird. And it's really, um, 
it just feels hurtful um, because I feel like it, you know, concretizes what we all know that, um, you know, queer people of color in particular lives don't register as being as significant as other people's lives. And, um, you know, there was some discussion of, uh, you know, just the massive outpouring of response to the Paris shootings and just how much less uh, reaction Orlando got from, um, from, I mean, social media in particular, you know, for one. Um, but, you know, I, I also witnessed, uh, you know, a division between, you know, most, most of the straight people I have on social media were not posting about it. There was a small handful that were posting sort of offensive things and a, and then a smaller handful who were posting, you know, kind, good things. Um, but, you know, mostly it was, you know, queer people and of course queer people, queer Latinx people um, who, who were obviously as, you know, you couldn't, you can't not be immersed in it when it's your family, like literally your family. Yeah. Like, yeah, I guess I say, I say literally your family kind of, it's not quite literally like if, if you take family as blood definitions, but, you know, queer people refer to each other as family. Um for a, a number of reasons, but, but that's what it felt like. It felt like deaths in the family. Um, and even more so for, um, Latinx queer, uh, folks. And we're going to talk a lot about that. So, yeah. And yeah, I mean, speaking of all that, our who's ruining the dinner party segment is everything we're about to talk about today, including toxic masculinity, white supremacy, heterosexism, and imperialism, you know, all of these things related to Orlando, which I think are not necessarily the words that the media is is using to express what happened in Orlando. So we really, we really want to unpack that. Um, and I, I also just want to make a note that we want to unpack it as queer white allies to queer Latinx people. Um, we, you know, I, I thought about inviting, um, uh, a queer Latinx person onto the show to try to like literally center uh, of that voice. Um, but then I also wanted to be mindful of like the emotional labor that, that queer Latinx people are, are dealing, experiencing right now. And so I thought, you know, as white allies, we could use this platform and our energy to, to explain um, some of the, some of the, the problems with the way that the media has been covering this um, and what it means for uh, Q and T POC communities. Um, that means listeners, queer and trans people of color. Um, that's what Q and T POC means. Um, do you, so do you wanna just sort of, I mean, and do you wanna just sort of explain what happened for, for maybe people who, who didn't have their Facebooks immersed, emerged, you know, saturated with all this? Yeah, yeah, so last Sunday night, um, a man, went into the Pulse nightclub in Orlando and uh, killed 49 people and injured 53. And it was uh, the the Latin night at the club. And so the majority of people, um, or the majority of people killed were Latinx and 50% were from actually from Puerto Rico specifically. And so 
you know, that identity or those identities are very centered in kind of our reactions and, and what we're reading about. But of course, the news media is really hanging on to his moments in which he pledged allegiance with ISIS during this 911 call, allegedly, and these other very like vague allegiances with, uh, you know, Islamic State terrorism. But that really isn't what our internet or our family, our, our people are, are focusing on, you know, our focus is on that it was a queer um, Latinx community that was killed and destroyed and heartbroken, you know, the, the boomerang effects go long, long, long echo effect, not echo. What am I trying to think? You know, like the pulsation where it just like keeps going and going and going. Yeah. Um, because like Rachel yep. said, it is like a lot of people in the queer community fam the queer community is their family because a lot of people lost their nuclear family when they came out as queer. Um, and so this, this is family for people and it's a close knit community. And so in Orlando, you know, if, if your friend wasn't killed, your friend's friend was killed. You know what I mean? Like you knew just so many people were impacted by it. And that's why I think me personally, um, that was my first thought is like, holy shit like I go to these clubs my friends go to these clubs way more than I do if this would have happened mm -hmm. in Minneapolis like our community would have been devastated you know yep. um totally. and so this is very real for us where I think um the way the news media is framing it it's more for like the mainstream middle class white heterosexual demographic that they market to that really yep. they don't have uh, a personal connection to it where they have right. a personal connection with Sandy Hook or a personal connection. They can relate more to Paris, which is crazy. But some right. people will be like, oh, I'd be at that rock show, you know, and not to dis I'm not right. trying to discredit the death and destruction that happened in, in Paris. But the anger is that something that far away from us resonated with people more here than something that happened, you know, on our own soil. Um, right. And I should say, too, um, we just keep saying Latinx and we're not really defining that um but it's just so this so in Sp so latino spanish-speaking countries the in spanish if you're not familiar the the language is very uh gendered and so some words are feminized and some words are masculinized and usually the default is masculine and so if like there's kids the word is ninos, and because it ends with an O, it's masculine. So everything's kind of defaulted to the masculine. And so there's been um, this move to replace the O and the A with an X, which just means, you know, gender neutral or non-gendered language, which is cool. So that's an all-inclusive term where we're not just talking about um, women or men Latinos. We're talking about, you know, all people of all different gender identities and... I would like to give a shout out to NPR for having a very long segment on this actual term and interviewing a non-binary, uh, genderqueer, Latinx person about this term. So shout out to them because they did that last night and I was very impressed. So there's yeah. some discussion of this term, but not enough in the mainstream media. So, Right. Yeah, totally. Um, that is, that's cool that, uh, you know, ma mainstream uh, outlet was was covering that with with a person who had actually um, who who carried that identity. Yeah, um, yeah, and so this this is feels particularly important to use this term um, in relation to Pulse because 
you know, the, 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 the gender identities of queer people are, you know, are potent, you know, in a space like that, the, the chances of having somebody not identifying in a binary position is, is high, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, or higher than general population. So, um, you know, I have not yet seen, you know, a list of everybody's, you know, preferred pronouns and stuff, but it, it, it's important to be inclusive, particularly in, um, everywhere. I mean, honestly, everywhere, but, um, you know, a queer space, uh, definitely speaks to using this, this term for sure. And can I give another shout out to mainstream media real quick? Did you see the Anderson Cooper thing? I actually haven't watched it yet. Dude. What's y'all need to watch this. He like can. Okay. So Anderson Cooper is out as a gay man. And he was working for CNN doing the coverage of Orlando. And right when everybody's... So it got to the point where everybody's name was available. And Mm -hmm. he couldn't keep it together. Like, he was crying the entire time. And I think that is such... um, That was a big moment in cable news. Because usually, even during 9-11, you know, people kept it together. Like, it wasn't... Everybody was very stoic, you know? But... I think that shows how much um, the queer community is impacted by this. And also to the point where he's trained to be emotionally um, neutral, you know, but right. he couldn't even like, and he just, just was crying. Oh, it was just so devastating to, to listen to, but it was nice to see refreshing to see somebody, you know, being as emotional as they felt and, and doing it on air, but also being unable to keep that from the viewer's eyes. And I think it was important for straight people to see that on CNN. Yeah. Um, that sounds, that sounds powerful. I'm also going to like killjoy that moment a yep, little bit. Please um, do. And like, it's like still centering like a white, a white cis gay guy, um, which is what like specifically like queer Latinx communities have like asked us not to do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying he shouldn't have done it. Um, I'm just saying like one of the articles that I'll reference later probably just talks about like, what does it mean that it's still mostly white journalists covering yes. this stuff? And, uh, you know, I think there was another interview with Anderson Cooper going around where he asked somebody like why they didn't care about LGBT people before this. And it's like, oh, you yeah. have to ask specifically, why didn't you care about LGBT people of color. Like that is the thing that I think this, that, that specific is so important to this particular tragedy and to um, naming the violence that happens to queer POC all the time. So that does sound moving and it probably was very important for like white cis straight folks to see that. Um, But, you know, I'm just, I'm just killed. I'm just being, no, no, that's, that's our job. I appreciate that. And I wasn't just, Anyways, and that was more for, anyways, I will say, um, also just to clarify, do you want to explain a little bit about the the anger that people, queer people of color are feeling right now? Um, and you mentioned the violence thing. Can you say a little bit more about that for people who maybe are not familiar with the stats of discrimination? So, yeah, so queer people are, um, somewhat disproportionately uh, victims of violence, discrimination, um, et cetera, et cetera. But 
much more distinctly and much more um, disproportionately are queer people of color and the, the most impacted are trans women of color. Um, the, so, so number one, if you're to exist in this world, in our society, as a queer person is, is tough, but to exist in this world as a queer person of color and even more so as a trans person of color, um, your, your livelihood is, you know, is, there is an assault on your livelihood every day. And so naming that is, is really important, particularly um, because there's also a lot of racism within the LGBT community and a lot of the sort of mainstream LGBT organizations and the mainstream fights for quote unquote LGBT equality center white cis gay men as opposed to mm. everybody else that is part of the LGBTQ plus uh, community, um, which is, of course, not a monolithic community and is very diverse. And so when we take a tragedy and name it as just something that impacts the LGBT community, you know, that because of what the same sex marriage movement and all of the and what the HRC represents because of these things in our popular consciousness people might think of, you know, like white gay dudes. And it's like, well, no, we're talking about a specific population that has been ignored by not only straight people, but also gay white people. And so to have it sort of um, taken, like to have this tragedy be sort of claimed by all LGBT people still feels like another moment of... LGBT whitewashing within a community that's supposed to be, quote unquote, a safer haven for these queer people of color. Um, So there's a lot of bitterness that not only like, you know, at this point, queer people of color don't expect much from the mainstream anything. Um, You know, a lot of queer people, I'm I'm generalizing a a bit here. Um, But to have it once again, to have the, the white LGBT community not take the time to say not only is this a tragedy to our community, but we have to specifically explain how this is a tragedy to the Latinx community in particular um, because we've, you know, because of this, 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 you know, history of racism in, in LGBT circles, like this is an opportunity to like be better allies to our, you know, our queer siblings of color. Thank you. And I just wanted yeah. to echo what you were saying about uh, trans people of color, um, specifically trans women. Y'all, you should look up the stats. It's horrendous. Like, mm-hmm. it's like a trans woman gets killed every 29 hours or something. I mean, the news media yeah. never covers it. You will never know unless yeah. you're like following some kind of social media that tracks this stuff. But it is horrendous. Like, Life it expectancy. Is- Life expectancy for trans women is somewhere in the 30s. It's like no joke. It is horrible. Yeah. It is just awful. And so yeah. just do some research, educate yourself on on the precariousness of life because it is not, it's no joke. Yeah. 
Just yeah, wanted to totally. really stress that because if people don't know the stats, you and I know them, but it's like, right. you got to look yeah. at them to really understand what we're talking about. It's bad. It's very bad. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we're, I think we're going a little bit out of order, but that's okay. Of, um, some of the, the problems basically right now we're, we wanted to sort of break into this. What are the problems with the way the media is covering this? So we're, we're, so we're, we're kind of starting here at this, the sort of erasure of the Latinx identities of these people. Um, and not only for all of the reasons we named about racism within LGBT communities, within disproportionate violence against queer people of color, but also because of the erasure of the way that um, the United States has violenced these same communities, um, both at home and abroad. Uh, and this is particularly important because of the fact that so many of the victims were Puerto Rican um, and just the very contentious, violent uh, relationship that uh, that the U.S. has with with Puerto Rico. Um, so that's that's something that is important to name, too, that this is an issue of, you know, colonization and um, U.S. violence as as well. Um, so. Yeah, so that's that's one thing. So this erasure of the racial identity of the victims is is a huge problem um, with the media coverage of this. Uh, I also think I and and speaking of sort of colonization and imperialism, um, I want to talk about the way that the media is using this as a way to uh, uh, stir up hatred against, quote unquote, ISIS, even though the result of that is usually hatred against Muslims in our country, also known as Islamophobia. Um, and this is deeply fucked up for a number of reasons. Mel, do you want to say anything about about this? Sure. How much time you got? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, that, well, first off, the links to the person who, the shooter and ISIS is very weak. Um, and it's an interesting theory as to why he used that um, to maybe shadow some of his homophobia and, and real reasons for, for um, uh, eliciting this violence um, against the Latinx community in Orlando, Latinx queer community, I should say. But um, I mean, the, the issue here now is that we're well, of course, every time there's a terrorist attack, Paris doesn't matter. Muslim people in America there is an increase in remarks made to them, hate crimes. I mean, it's trackable. People have done research on this. Um, and so, and I know this because my students will come to me and say like, oh, you know, I'm getting more crap said to me. And white people don't believe it because we don't hear it because they say it under their breath. They say it in when we're not around, you know, when other people aren't around to really like police it as much um, or help, you know, the, our Muslim uh neighbors and friends and stuff. And so if you talk to Muslim people, they will say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more remarks being made to us now. Islam, you know, Islamophobic remarks. Um, mm -hmm. But also this is just such a more this framing of it being like the result of ISIS and Middle Eastern terrorism is just such a better framework for the media to use. They're a much better enemy than us having to look inward and say this is a result of homophobia in our country because that's really what's mm. going on. I think blaming it on ISIS, it's a false blame. There's no evidence for it. There's a lot more evidence that he was, you know, hated gay people. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's a much harder conversation for our news media to have because we have to turn inward instead of turning outward. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's exactly right. Um, and that so often happens with tragedies uh, that, that we just, the media slash, you know, the powers that be try to find some scapegoat that can usually sort of benefit us in a war or something. Right. which we obviously saw with 9-11 and et cetera, et cetera. Um, also very interesting to me about this is that even so, so ac- according to, you know, the people who were in the bathroom when uh, being held hostage in the bathroom, uh, he, you know, Mateen did make a call pledging his allegiance to ISIS, but there's also a history of him, first of all, not being a devout Muslim. So his relationship to ISIS is not necessarily religious motivated. And I think that was um, definitely demonstrated even more so uh, because he's also in the past, because he has an FBI file, apparently this guy, Mm -hmm. and he's also pledged allegiance to Hezbollah and um, a third organization that I, whose name I can't remember now, but basically ISIS and Hezbollah are certainly not on the same page. Like they are, like not even a little bit like Hezbollah does not like ISIS and vice versa. So Mateen, as I saw one person on Twitter say, like, like most Americans, cause he wasn't an American born and raised. Yeah. Um, like most Americans is very confused about what's going on in the middle East <laughs> and like, didn't actually understand the sort of ideology behind these organizations that he claimed to be affiliated with other than the fact that he was making anti-American sentiments about how America needs to stop bombing the Middle East. He basically said America needs to stop bombing my country. And I hate that when something like, uh, you know, quote unquote terrorist attack, and of course people only say terrorism when it's a brown person. So when these things happen, the first thing people go to is this idea of real quote unquote religious extremism. Both the Boston bombers and Mateen the only things they said about motive that never got, never gets highlighted is that America was bombing mm-hmm. places they shouldn't be bombing. The Boston bombers said that too. Nobody fucking talked about that. This to me is the most, one of the most enraging things because <laughs> the reason that there is terrorism is partly because America is a fucking dickbag imperialist monster that bombs and thinks they can just do whatever the fuck they want to the rest of the world. And I am not saying it is okay for people to come and kill innocent people in revenge. Like I'm not remotely saying that, but what I am saying is that it's also not okay for America to bomb the shit out of countries and also kill innocent people all the goddamn time. Like, do you know how many times America has dropped a bomb or a drone on a nation and killed 49 people at once. Yeah. Many times. Children. Like many, many, many times. (laughs) Many times. All the time. And so we do it all all the time. And so talk about not turning inward. Like, yeah, we have to talk about homophobia. We have to talk about domestic racism. We also have to talk about international racism and imperialism and like, warmongering violence that we perpetuate and like that is a root of this you know it makes me and nobody like the news isn't talking about that like I feel like that's getting a rate they they I've seen it in a couple articles where he says America needs to stop bombing my country 
And that's never like a headline. It's like that, that the headline becomes shooter, you know, pledges allegiance to ISIS. And it's like, yeah, but he's confused. The man was clearly unsure about, you know, his, his different organizations that he wanted to <laughs> claim allegiance with. But what he was clear about is that he needed America to stop not only bombing his country, but he also talked, did you hear the thing about how he talked to the black people? He said, how many are you guys, are any of you guys in there black? And he said, I don't have a problem with you. America's done enough to you. So he had this. Yeah, he said that. Hmm. And so it's a very anti-American, um, anti-American violence. Yeah. Uh, point that he was coming from it and again I clearly do not obviously not in a million years do I am I defending his actions at all but I am saying the media is fucked for not amplifying that part of the of the motive yeah Um, and this is a conversation we could have started to have when 9-11 happens like I was waiting for that conversation it's like oh they bombed us because they hate us okay are we gonna sit down and like talk why do they hate us why do they hate us and maybe we could like address some of that no because we're like the world power and everybody needs to adhere to our values and politics Melody they hate us because we're because we love freedom oh that's right I'm sorry it's about freedom (laughs) (laughs) yeah get me some freedom fries right so, uh, and I'm not trying to make this argument to distract from the racism and homophobia ar- argument as well, because that is clearly central to this as well. But that, I think we need to talk about the, because racism is also about, you know, racism with our, you know, siblings across the globe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, ugh. so that's, so that's another thing. So there's the erase, you know, erasing the race. Uh, of the of the victims, it's the misrepresentation of the motives of the of the shooter, um, and also ignoring the uh, the history of the shooter as um, a man who's been enculturated in a patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you read Did you read about um, his history of abuse and those kinds of things, Melody? Yep, yep, I'm familiar. With, yeah, so. Uh, abusing his wife and just being the toxic that, you know, toxic masculinity, meaning, you know, we have, just as we talk about women are controlled by this like standard of femininity that we all have to adhere to. um, You know, men are also wrapped around this type of masculinity in in which having to be powerful and strong and very hetero. Um, I've mentioned the, the documentary, the mask you live in, which I still highly recommend people watching. Um, but it's this masculinity that teaches men from the very beginning that, you know, violence is a good thing. Being very strong is a good thing. Dominating women, um, not needing consent for sex, um, or any kind of, you know, violence towards women, you know, you got to pass on that. Um, and so this is the masculinity that he grew up in and really, um, seemed to embody as an adult. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, this is, this is about us. This is about our society too. This is about a patriarchal society being complicit in this. Like, you know, he, this is not some isolated quote unquote crazy terrorist. This is an American man who was enculturated in a society that taught him uh, how to dehumanize people enough to kill them. And, uh, you know, sort of vis-a-vis this, this taught toxic masculinity. Um, 
And, you know, he found this outlet in these sort of anti-American terrorist organizations because he also had, you know, uh, a response to things that, that, that were happening at, and, you know, in, in terms of um, other nations being bombed and things like that. So lots of stuff going on here. And then also, obviously, a culture of homophobia. Yeah. So how does, so, the, how does that connect? The toxic masculinity well, and, and homosexuality and, and where he found himself in, at Pulse. Yeah. So, you know, there, there are many reports that are suggesting this man was um, struggling with his, with his own sort of sexuality um, and his desires for other men. Um, he was apparently on Grindr, which is a gay dating app. He apparently went to Pulse as a, as a customer. Um, that's being you know, that that's being a little bit people, some people are saying that they, he only went to scout it out as a site for the shooting. Other people are saying, no, he's been going there forever. Like it wasn't, he was like, you know, came there often just as, as a customer. Um, so to potentially know that he was potentially struggling with his own sexuality, the reason why people quote unquote struggle with their sexuality is partly because we live in a society that shames people for certain desires. And so to have this, you know, in this sense of masculinity being threatened by any homo erotic desire um, has often led to, to violence. And this actually is something, if bringing this back to um, the deaths of trans women, is yes. many, many trans women are killed after cisgender men have sex with them. Yes. And what does it mean that we live in a culture that teaches people to feel such shame, anger, rage in response to that kind of desire that violence becomes an answer? I mean, I think that's a connection. Do you think there's any, do you want to say anything else? No, it's just sad. It's just it sad it's that super sad. men feel like they can't be queer because, you know, I don't know. It's yeah. just sad. It's just sad to think about that. People are so disgusted by their own desires. Um, yeah. And that there's a wonderful world on the other side. Um, yeah. If, if they could find a way to accept who they are and there's plenty right. of people that would love them that way and right. would welcome them with open arms. Right. It's just sad that and that has to, it's how men work through their stuff. Absolutely. And I just also want to say, since so many people are quick to blame Muslim um, Islam, talk about a religion that doesn't make it safe to be queer. I mean, Christian, you know, That's Christianity true. is one of the most, you know, in, ter- in terms of people who have taken up God in the, in the name of, hating gay people. I mean, it's Christians like far and wide. Yeah. So that's another thing that I think people are like, Oh, those people can't be accepting. It's like, no, look at, look at certain yeah. parts of your own Christian religion. Like that's talk about not accepting. So, so there's that too. Um, the last two things that I wanted to cover in terms of problems from the media. So I'm going to be a teacher and review. So we have erasing the racial identities of the victims. We have, um, misrepresentation of the motives of the gunmen. 
We have ignoring the gunman's past of abuse and toxic masculinity. Um, this is sort of in line with ignoring the racial identities, but the media, you know, mainstream media is not featuring um, queer people of color reporters, journalists, which is partly because there aren't, you know, they're not being hired enough. So that's, a, you know, an employment problem. Um, nor are they featuring enough queer um, Latinx in particular voices. Um, you know, there's lots of op-eds going around and people being interviewed. And, you know, there's not, unless you're following the sort of subculture media that that I'm, I feel fortunate to be sort of connected to, you're not going to hear a lot of Latinx voices. Um, we'll make sure on the website to post a bunch of videos and articles from Latinx perspectives, um, which is how I, you know, learned a lot of what I'm saying is, you know, is through these, these Latinx voices. Um, and then the final thing I just want to say is that so much of the response to this is about gun control. And I find that very important, but I feel like it's not sufficient. Um, Mel, how do you feel about the gun control response? Um, or censoring I... gun control as the reaction. I am on board with Obama. I'm a very like, I love Obama when he talks about gun control. So, okay. So I will say, yes, like, I think that like nobody should have guns, right? That's like my first like easy response. But then I put my fist up in the air when I hear Kendrick Lamar rap about how he's going to drop off guns in the hood where I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Right. So I have, you know, I have two, I have two responses there where I think, um, there should be much more gun control in this country and fuck the Republicans in Congress who kept gun control from going through after Sandy Hook. I mean, seriously, like that was just like such a clear representation of how Republicans feel about gun control. Like even when our small children are killed, that's their response is we're going to do nothing. Of course, they have all their reasons for why they're doing nothing. But I will say that, like, I think on the large part, People shouldn't have guns unless you're a marginalized person that needs to be protected from the police right. state. <laughs> so right. uh, I would love it if black people had guns and nobody else, just to be real clear, like black people in the hood. Like I could name my people like black people in the hood, Muslims, you know, right. not the, you know, so right. just to be real yeah. blunt. But so that's how I feel. But I'm very pro Obama. I feel the way that Obama does. Okay. Yeah, I am. Um... We've had, you know, we've had similar conversations, I think, on this show before about how I feel very similarly about um, as long as there are guns in the world, I understand why oppressed people want to have them. Mm -hmm. um, but I would also prefer a world without any guns. Yes. Um, I think, though, in terms of the media or at least, you know, people saying, you know, they hear this tragedy and it's like, OK, that's the next step. We have to go back to the table about gun control is that it still sort of misdirects the root of the problem, which is everything we just talked about, which is homophobia, racism, toxic masculinity, and imperialism. Um, or as I, as later, um, I'm going to just read an excerpt from, um, or actually, why don't I just read it now? Uh, I want to read an excerpt from uh, the Black Lives Matter statement about, uh, about the tragedy. And uh, they name, I think, the roots of the problem, which actually... And I'm not I'm not one of those people who say, you know, 
gun, guns don't kill people, people kill people. I'm not, I'm really not ultimately, ultimately I'm not pro gun. Um, but I, but I'm especially frustrated when the response to these kinds of things uses gun control as like the quote unquote solution, which still sweeps under the rug, all of the other things that people need to be accountable for. Um, so as black lives matter says in their statement, um, they name four threats and, and you'll hear that in a second. So I'll just read this, this excerpt. It says, quote, to honor our dead and fight like hell for the living. We need a new vision for safety that prioritizes human rights and does not facilitate deadly violence. We need a world that realizes that the word terrorist is not synonymous with Muslim any more than the word criminal is synonymous with black. The enemy is now and always has been the four threats of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and militarism. These forces, and not Islam, create terrorism. These forces, and not queerness, create homophobia. These forces unleash destruction primarily on those who are trans and queer and brown and black, and we are the first to experience its violence. These forces create the conditions for our dehumanization and our death, and we will hold them to account no matter whose face they may wear. Until these systems are defeated, until anti-blackness is no, no longer fuels anti-Muslim and anti-queer and trans bigotry, exploitation, and exclusion, we can never be truly free. But we believe that we will win, end quote. So I just really echo that, and I think it's related to my response about, about guns, because yes, that's important, and if people want to put their energy into that, okay, even though it also has gun control Legislation actually has really racist roots, um, which we can link to an interview with Dean Spade and Rana Gossett about that. Um, but ultimately, I, I I just really, you know, snaps to that to that statement um, that the the real threats are are the things are uh, white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and militarism. Those are the things that cause violence in our world. Um, more than anything else, and fuel violence that takes the form, so many forms. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And um, I did want to, like, as you were reading, I was thinking more, um, clarify my statement a little bit. Why I was thinking about what would happen if, like, just like Muslims and Black people in the hood were armed. I'm like, as if that would actually help anything, because if they did have to use their guns, they'd be thrown in jail. Versus, mm -hmm. you know, white men, there's plenty of examples to show that when they're mm -hmm. armed they you know the, the right. repercussions are a lot less so it actually right now since we do live in a white supremacist society it's not going to help them any if every you know yeah. if if the marginalized are armed because if they right. choose to use that against the people who are oppressing them then they're going to be killed or thrown in jail you know what i mean so like on the real it's it's not it's not helpful I hate yeah, I, I, I mean, I also, I I hate them because they scare the shit out of me. Yeah. Um, I also feel like I, you know, it's not my job as a white lady to tell somebody, some somebody else to not, you know, as long as we live in a country where, you know, white dudes can get guns, I guess, you know, it's far be it for me to say that somebody else can't or shouldn't, but mm -hmm. um, unless they all go away. So I think we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're on the same page. It's, it feels really complicated, but yeah. yeah. Um, on that note about being thrown in jail and, you know, obviously communities of color, um, and particularly this is another issue that's particularly, um, queer people of color and, uh, oftentimes sex workers, whether they're queer or not, 
they're disproportionately targeted and um, targeted by the police and thus and, you know, fill our fill our prisons. Um, there's also the last thing I'll say about the media that I want to sort of transition sort of away from the heaviness of Orlando and just sort of end on a little bit of history of sort of the queer liberation movement and what it means to sort of keep going on in, in this really difficult time is that there's a lot of glorification of the police for, you know, res- rescuing the people um, at, at Pulse. And certainly they, they did that. You know, we, we don't currently have any, anything else formally in a system that, that would allow those people to have gotten out in the same ways. There's also reports that there's probably, there was probably some police bullets that ended up injuring or, or killing some of the people inside. Um, but there is very little discussion of how, you know, the police aren't usually friends to queer people of color. Nope. And in fact, the opposite. And um, yep. there was actually in New York, there was the main very whitewashed um, vigil at Stonewall where they invited fucking Nick Jonas to speak, a <laughs> cis straight white guy. Um <laughs> And there was a, yeah. And then there was a part of the march that broke or a part of the vigil that broke off to have a march in the streets. And by the time they got to Times Square, there were cops on horses trying to like, you know, both, you know, get the break up the march. And there ended up being people arrested and violenced by the cops. That did not make news at all. Um, I found it on, you know, somebody who was there was posting about it. And then there's a like a cop watch page that that ended up um, writing an article about it. So just, you know, I, I know there's good cops. I know that there are in our current system, in some situations, sometimes that feels like the only hope for quote unquote safety. But the irony is very thick that, um, you know, so often the police are not a, a form of safety for, the the same community that was being targeted um in at pulse so that's uh that's the sort of final thing about the media and i do like i said want to transition into um a brief history of the gay liberation movement um oh get out my <laughs> notebook and pencil yes <laughs> yeah this like i've done this lecture many times in class uh <laughs> so the roots of what is discussed as or what is sort of deemed as the gay liberation movement, particularly Pride, the Pride March in particular, started uh, at a bar in New York called Stonewall. Um, Gay bars uh, were not legal for a long time, and they were regularly and routinely raided by the police, um, even and and, uh, which but but queer people continued to go to them because they were literally the only safe havens available to a lot of queer people in a society, you know, I would still say in the present, but certainly more um, uh, overtly many, you know, decades ago, this started um, in the around the 40s. These gay bars became these safe havens where you could actually go and meet people um, who who had, you know, your same desires. And uh, they actually started very much working class. They were working people who had to go into these cities and work and find work. And um, 
they, uh, you know, butch and femme bars were really big back then. So it was, you know, women who uh, got very manual labor jobs because they got to wear like men's clothing as part of their uniform and women who worked as secretaries. And so I have a lot of affinity and affection for the sort of early working class um, butch femme roots of some of those lesbian bars and, um, you know, also lots of uh, just gay bars in general. So routinely raided by the cops, gay people were thrown in jail, abused, you know, violently and sexually assaulted by police regularly. Um, and uh, uh, one day in 1969, in June, uh, two trans women of color had enough of the police violence and they decided to fight back. So uh, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera uh, began a riot at Stonewall and uh, fought back against the cops and demanded that they stop being treated so inhumanely. And that thus began um, the pride marches of, and the queer, and queer liberation. Um, many of the folks involved in that were also communists and very far left and uh, very radical roots. Um, as you can, you know, from today in the US, the gay rights you know, it went from queer liberation to gay rights. And that's a very different thing, but it feels very important to my history as a queer person to know that the roots of of this movement were very radical, um, you know, anti-police, anti-capitalist, uh, anti-racist um, in a lot of ways, and just how very different that looks in, in mainstream uh, gay rights movements today. Um, so, so that's, that's the brief history uh, of that. Um, because of that, you know, gay bars really, really do become this very sort of sacred community gathering space. Um, Mel, you've talked on the show before about like, how, you know, if you go to a queer bar, you like, you feel, you don't feel like you're going to get like unconsensually danced on. But when you go into straight bars, you're like, oh, fuck, here we go. Right. Yeah. Because especially because I can like pass as a totally straight person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So and that's why it was so interesting at the at the Drake night that I went to when I dressed mm -hmm. a little bit more butch on purpose to mm -hmm. like more queer myself, how it kind of worked mm -hmm. to my advantage, because then all the lesbians like. You know, there's ways to code yourself. Right. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I can't. And I mean, there's a lot of straight women. Well, we know this about, you know, you go to a, a gay club, like mostly for gay guys. And mm -hmm. you see all these women there, right? Like straight mm -hmm. women. And they mm -hmm. love it because it's a place for them. It's a safe space for them, too, where they can. Well, be... there's a lot of gay guys who don't practice good consent rules. I have to say I've been I've been groped by gay men. And they think it's okay because they're gay. So I will say that. And they've all been white for what it's worth. No, I hear um, you. I'm just saying straight women feel safer. I'm yes. Not... Yes. Absolutely. So I'm so saying just, outside of yes. our world, the straight ladies, yes. the straight, the super yeah. straight girls, yes. they come into, this is why a lot of times gay clubs, this is a problem with some gay clubs. They don't like it when the straight ladies come in and like take over the space. But it's because they also see it as a safe space. Not saying, yes, no, lots of gay white guys are super misogynistic and, like, horrible to yeah. women. Yes. Yeah. But they still Which is why it. you and I, when we go to queer bars, they're usually, like, queer-specific. Queer. Like yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Like, the one I went to in Minneapolis mostly was, like, very working class, um, 
pretty diverse in terms of race. Um, and, you know, there was also, uh, you know, Health, Health Kitchen ha- has nights that are specifically for queer people of color um, that I would often not go to be- because of that, you know, yeah. wanting to give to not take up that space. Um, but anyway, sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. Um, oh, no, just that that um, there's an article that I that I'll link to on our website about um, just kind of calling out, you know, in terms of the making this a bigger issue, I guess to like make it more real to people who aren't from the Latinx community is that like, yeah, you're safe. Like the article is called to all the straight women who love gay men, your safe space is no longer their safe space. And mm-hmm. so real. So, you know, the safe space that you go to to party for your bachelorette parties, like just so you know, like it's not actually a safe space for your gay friends. Right. And so you might want to like right. reach out and, um, you know, check on check to see how they're doing. Um, yeah. So anyways, I just wanted to throw yeah, that totally. out too. It's like the safe space actually goes beyond the queer community and that some straight women have found solace there. Um, right. As well. Right. Yeah, Totally. Totally. You're killed yeah. everything I'm saying, Rachel. God. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I no, just I just, I, just had, I just had to say that. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> um, it's so but, true. No, but, I, um, but what you're describing is also a very real phenomenon. And yeah, straight women often feel, you know, totally, totally safe there. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Um, yeah. So yeah, just wanted to just sort of echo some of the, the stuff that's been going around. And again, noting that we're both white. And so, you know, we're, we're taking, we, we are admittedly, I guess, centering sort of our experiences for a second, but, um, but, you know, noting that, uh, you know, our experiences as white people in queer space, in queer bars, um, and, and gay bars is going to be different than, um, uh, than queer people of color's experience in those spaces. And that's one reason that things like Latin, um, like Latin night are, are necessary in those spaces sometimes, or bars that people know are queer people of color, um, majority queer people of color attended, um, and or owned. So, you know, Pulse had that night where, as you know, from the, we know from the victims names was mostly attended by, by, uh, Latinx people. Um, so, you know, just, just, just taking another moment to, to note, um, how, how our different positionalities are going to mean different things for what those spaces mean and how it was already a fight for queer people of color to feel particular forms of safety, semblances of safety in those spaces, even for, against white queers, which we, which we sort of talked about before. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's, that is a, it's, but it is a hugely important part of, of queer history. And just the, the sort of final thing I want to say sort of about queer history and, and this current moment is that queer people, like many other marginalized people, and, and obviously, again, in particular, queer people of color, um, so much of what the movement means is to, you know, sort of exist and try to thrive and try to fight and try to resist and try to do all of these things at this, while simultaneously sort of being in constant grief or constant mourning. Um, I, you know, feeling the weight of these deaths and feeling grief and mourning uh, as a queer person, you know, I also had this like thing in me that was like, and we have to keep fighting. It felt very like this very simultaneous, like, oh, there's grief. There's also struggle. And that I think is just so much of what the history of queer 
communities and queer activism and politics and life um, has been if we think about, you know, celebrating in a bar and also like a second later having to fight the police for your life through, you know, celebrating at Pride and a second later, you know, getting discriminated at your workplace and getting fired, Uh Um, you know, celebrating your queer family one night and then a second later knowing that thousands of you are going to be dying from the AIDS epidemic because the government doesn't give a shit about you, Um, you know, and we can go on. So this constant attack on queer bodies, particularly queer bodies of color, and in this situation, Latinx bodies, you know, is sort of always coupled with this, like, okay, how do we, like, feel constant attack, constant grief, constant pain, and also figure out ways to, like, live in spite of it? And I just feel like that this moment is, I know, and I know so much more intensely for queer Latinx people, I think that that just really feels like that's what this moment is because there's been so much organizing around uh, the sort of politics of, of these racial identities, of the of thinking about homophobia, of all of these things that we just talked about. Well, at the same time, you know, we're all and queer Latinx people in particular are just gr- grieving, grieving our loved ones. And it just seems like it's such a constant um disposition for so many marginalized people you know i i do know i do know yeah um so we should probably wrap up soon yeah we've we've done our hour um did you want to say any other like ending reflections that was it i think that's my ending reflection is just like how just that it's hard and heavy to to both grieve and live and fight And, um, if you know, listeners, uh, queer Latinx people, like, please check in on them. Um, if you don't know any queer Latinx people, maybe check in on your queer other racial identity friends. Um, and, uh, you know, find ways to, to center those voices, try, find ways to, to reframe the conversation that's happening in the media about this tragedy and um, don't forget about it when it stops trending on Facebook. Yeah. And I think it would be interesting, too, if, if you don't identify as queer, to just check in with your other non-queer friends, too, to see. Because, mm-hmm. who you know, I'd be curious what conversations you'd be having. I mean, because we're saying yeah. that a lot of straight people aren't talking about it. And, you know, when I tried to talk about it with my mom, you know, it became this discussion about gun control and my brother was like, you can't stop one deranged person. And I just like, didn't have any energy to like unpack Mm. those like two very basic sentences that like triggered a lot in me, you know, but I think you, you know, everybody should be talking about it. So even, you know, yes, check on, check on your queer family um, and friends and family that you know of, but also check in with each other and just have a conversation about it. Start conversations, you know? Totally. I think think that's so important. Yeah. And um, go ahead. No, and just my my last thing um, I'll say is that I'm just really grateful to be in Minneapolis. We have a vibrant queer community here, and I really found good homes here. I'm actually going to go see one of my friends tonight. Um, She performs kind of at an underground place. She does some kink stuff. 
Um, but it's just like so nice to be able to like have friends here that I clearly don't have in Milwaukee and, um, Mm -hmm. moving here and being able to find like so many different pockets of queer queerness was, it's just so, it's just, I'm so grateful for it. And I don't take, um, take it for granted. And, um, so I'm just happy to be here. I sound like I'm in an Al-Anon meeting. Hi, happy to be here. Um, (laughs) I'm working on my four step and... (laughs) Also, obviously, a big um, shout out to Jesus, who is no longer with yeah. us. But like, obviously, he was the first person I thought of and uh, yeah. just wish he was here. But also he, you know, however you think about things, you know, lots of queer angels have joined him and just lots of love to Jesus. Yeah. Um, listeners, we've mentioned him before. He's a... a- I think he would identify as Chicana, yeah. Chican, Chicanx, um, a friend of ours who uh, committed suicide a year ago and um, definitely would have had a lot to say and uh, certainly, you know, saw his, felt him even more than usual and that's saying a lot because he's on my heart and in my mind all the time, um, but certainly felt a lot of that loss of... Um, that very important Latinx life. Um, Fiercely so, queer. Yeah. We did, you didn't mention that. Queer. Yeah, queer. Also queer. Fabulously queer. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So, oh, fuck. Heavy, heavy shit. Um, so, yeah. Thank you, Melody, for being somebody to process with. Uh, I hope we uh, centered at least the sentiments of Latinx people and hopefully gave some folks a break and let white people take some of the emotional labor of um, changing the conversation. So I I hope we did right by um, our Latinx siblings and um, tried to be good allies. Um, Let's lighten it up a little bit to end really quick. RWLing. uh, What do you got, Mel? Uh, I am reading the internet i'm reading no yeah i'm reading the internet i'll just leave it there uh i'm listening to i listened to some old mixtapes that old like people have made for me and that was nice to go down memory lane uh as i said i was going to on my car ride and i'm watching jimmy fallon okay (laughs) i'm really intrigued i'm very intrigued by his late night show i'm way behind I have not tuned mm-hmm. in for all these years, but um, I'm fascinated by his use of the roots and roots's yeah. ability to maintain their cultural capital. Um, fascinated by his use of social media. Um, anyway, so I haven't watched late night TV since Conan was around. And so I'm getting yeah. back into that. Um, and I don't know if I'll watch Orange is the New Black that just came out because ever since uh, Jesus passed, I really haven't been able to actually watch it. Yeah. Plus all my other yeah. feelings about that show, which... I'm sure we'd be happy to do a show on that if anybody's interested. But yeah, we, I just, yeah, our I'm paper just definitely, not. Huh? The paper we wrote, def, the paper we wrote definitely made me like it less. Um, for yeah. sure. Um, and obviously, yeah, just engaging with prison and jail stuff. Yeah, I haven't watched it since last year, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Did did Jimmy Fallon mention Orlando? I mean, how did he did he approach? That? You know what? I just watched it yesterday, so it's been like a whole okay. week. And yeah, no, he kept saying like it's been a heavy week, it's been a hard week. Yeah, so, okay. but I don't know. I okay. didn't watch it like on Monday, Tuesday, one just just right. last night. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Please start with your, um, what you're listening to, because I have to talk to you about that. Okay. I'm listening to two things. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to more, <laughs> more than two things, but one song that I'm listening to is a, um, this person that goes by the name of Tronic Box. They do 1985 covers of current songs. So they make the song sound like it's from 1985 and That's they just awesome. did a Justin, Justin Bieber. What do you mean? Um, I hate that and, song. Uh, oh, I, I know you do. We have, we've had this discussion. Um, so it's, it's, it's really great. Um, I'm also listening to a bunch of lady podcasts. Um, three uh, that I'm listening to are a lot are Another Round, Smash Everything, and Two Dope Queens. Um, so I've just, I just, I just love them. I love, I love listening to podcasts. And those are the three mm-hmm. that have my heart currently. Um, so a bunch of others do too, but that's, that's what I've been particularly excited about the past, you know, week, couple weeks, months. Um, is that what you wanted to talk about? I just want to talk about what do you mean? Cause I don't like that song. Oh, I don't get how you can oh, listen you to it. It's like, what do you mean when you say yes, you say no, but She's I think asking... you mean yes. No, it's the opposite. He's asking for consent. What do you mean when you say yes, you but I think you mean is... no? Yeah. When you nod your head, yes, but you tell me to go. He's actually saying you're saying yes, but I'm just double checking because consent means enthusiastic. Yes. So I'm waiting for that enthusiastic yes. I think it is an ideal song about consent. Okay, I'll re-listen. All right. Can you see why I think that it's not, though? Or am yeah, I, just... I know. You okay. Went, no, Lena Dunham tweeted about that same thing, and I was like, you all are listening wrong. It's I actually okay. don't You've... think Justin Bieber thinks either way, but I, th- I interpret it as, as, a, as a requiring enthusiastic consent song. He's not the smartest guy on the block. <laughs> I don't know but anyways okay I'll re-listen you've gotten to me onto other songs you've queerified songs for me this is you're not queering the song but like you've queered other songs where I'm like no you're like but if you queer it it's so much and I'm like okay I get it the queer (laughs) message I'm down with so anyways I'll re-listen okay Okay. sounds good I'll report back all right sounds good uh WTF okay WTF power bye bye Yeah.
de mi pueblo y de mi gente y lo que cambió ayer tendrá que cambiar mañana y así como cambio yo en estas tierras lejanas 